Y'all bear with me, I'm not used to using these handheld microphones, or these non-handheld microphones. I remember back in the day when we used to watch our music videos and uh, we would see Janet Jackson and, and Guy and uh, uh, Bobby Brown and they would be getting it in, singing, dancing. And I used to think it would be so cool how they would have these little microphones on and they would still be kicking their moves and all of that good stuff. But y'all know, nah, y'all know I'm old school, man. You know, I'm not an MC, but I always prefer to have a mic in my hand, amen. Amen. But so y'all bear with me with this, but praise God for all of y'all. Amen. To see so many familiar faces, it is such a blessing. Amen. Uh, I'm Brother Brock, for those of you that don't know, and I thank God for Pastor Josh for uh, giving me this opportunity. Amen. To present the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be coming from uh, the book of Romans, very familiar passage, uh, the 12th chapter. And we'll be looking at uh, verses 1 through 8. Once again, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Amen. And we'll be looking at sacrificial service. Amen. Sacrificial service. Once again, coming from Romans 12, 1 through 8. I'll be reading from uh, the New American Standard Version, uh, but whatever version you have, just please read along with me, amen? It reads, starting at verse one, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And once again, we'll be coming from a topic of sacrificial service. Webster's Dictionary defines sacrifice as the act of giving, giving up something that you want to keep, especially in order to get or do something else or to help someone. An act of killing a person or animal in a religious ceremony as an offering to please a God. And lastly, a person or animal that is killed in a sacrifice. 
many times when we think about sacrifice because of popular culture, we think of sacrifice mainly from those last two perspectives, you know, giving up a life in a religious ceremony to please a a god or a deity or a person that is killed in a sacrifice. For me, in popular culture, those of you that know me, y'all know where I go to, the MCU, the Marvel Universe. (laughs) So we remember that there was a sacrifice made in Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. Y'all know Thanos. He wanted to get the the six Infinity Stones, and there was one stone that he had to get called the Soul Stone. And it was kept on this planet, uh, and it was being watched by the Red Skull, and Thanos came to the planet with his daughter, Gamora, and, you know, they're like, okay, so how can I get the stone? And Red Skull said the words that uh, many of us remember, a soul for a soul. The stone requires a sacrifice. So what did Thanos do? To my kid's dismay, he sacrificed his daughter and got the stone. Then in the next movie, we once again saw a similar sacrifice. We saw that it was Hawkeye and Black Widow. They had to get, they were fighting to see who would sacrifice themselves to get the stone. And once again, to my kid's dismay, the Black Widow sacrificed herself to get the stone. And see, even though that there were both different types of sacrifice, I mean, Thanos sacrificed his daughter unwillingly, and Black Widow sacrificed herself willingly, we see that both, uh, both teams thought that a sacrifice would be, would, would, that, the, that their sacrifice would be for a better service to humanity as a whole. You know, Thanos, he wanted to wipe out half of life because he thought it would be better for the world, or better for the universe, rather. Uh, Black Widow and, and uh, Hawkeye thought that if one of them sacrificed themselves, that, that it would be better because it would bring, bring back that half of humanity, that half of life that Thanos wiped away. And it was so powerful and so dramatic, and, and the movies were so bombastic. But one thing that we see is that when we study the word of God, that he is also calling his church for a sacrifice. But rather than us sacrificing ourselves in physical death, he is calling us to sacrifice our li- ourselves in life. So through that sacrifice, we could properly serve him and be of service to one another. And in that sacrifice, we'll see two main points. First, vertical service through sacrifice. So our, sacrifice to, our service to God through sacrifice, and we'll see that in Romans 12, 1 and 2 and horizontal service through using of our gifts, serving one another. And we'll see that in Romans 12, 3 through 8. Let us pray. Precious and all-wise God, we just give your name all of the praise, all the glory, and all of the honor. And Lord, once again, we're just so thankful for who you are and who you are in our lives. We're thankful, precious Lord, for your word that you have given us. For you told us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we're thankful, Lord, for your word here on this evening. So our prayer, my prayer, Lord, is that as your word goes forth, it won't be uh, my thoughts or my opinions or my wants or my desires, but let it be the truth that is in your word. 
And we pray, precious Lord, that, that I might decrease, that you, that your word may abound in this place. And we pray, precious Lord, that all that is said, all that is done, Lord, let you be glorified. Let your name be lifted up high and let the gospel be magnified. We give your name all of the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for the past few weeks, you know, we have uh, resumed, uh, resumed our study of the book of Ephesians. And one thing that's interesting is that, you know, Paul, as he wrote the book of Ephesians, and he's also the author of the book of Romans, that they basically had two different types of audiences. You know, Ephesians was written uh, near the end of his life, and it was kind of a going away type of a letter. Romans, on the other hand, was uh, a few years early, and it was an introduction type of letter. But both are very similar because they have similar themes and have being heavy in doctrine, also with the great emphasis on application. Particularly where we left off in Ephesians 4, we see that those themes intertwine here in Romans 12. In chapter 4, we learned about unity in the faith, about emulating Christ, about spiritual gifts and maturity. The last time we uh, looked at Ephesians 4, we learned how God's plan for the health of the church involves spiritually gifted leaders, and his purpose for the health of the church involves spiritually mature Christians. And as we'll look at and see in Romans 12, all of these themes from unity to emulating Christ, to spiritual giftedness, and to maturity, all of these things that we'll see in Romans chapter 12, the first eight verses, all require a commitment first to the Lord, and then it requires a commitment for us to have to one another. When we look at the book of Romans, it's really, it's, it's one of my favorite letters that Paul has written to the church. When you look at verses or chapters 1 through 11, I mean, if you want to have an understanding of what the gospel is, look at Romans, those first 11 chapters, because Paul gives a detailed, thorough explanation of the gospel. He breaks down God and his righteousness. He talks about man and their rebellion. He talks about Christ and his sacrifice. And then he talks about the response to God, to Christ's sacrifice for man. We see in the first two, in the first few chapters when he details man's disobedience and defiance. He also gives about uh, both the Gentile and the Jewish perspectives that no matter the works that they could do, whether it was through the law or through their own, or through their own works, that they themselves could not justify themselves in the sight of God. And then we see how God made provision through salvation and through that salvation, through, that, through his salvation of plan that we likewise can, could be made righteous in his sight through justification. We learn that righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ and righteousness is only received through faith in Christ. Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, 
being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time, so that he will be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just in those uh, short passage of verse, right, passage of scripture right there, we see God and his plan for man, his gospel plan for man. And all of that leads us to Romans 12 in, chapter, in, 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 in the first verse. You see, the very first word we see is an adverb that says, therefore. One of the things I've always heard is that when you see therefore, you got to do what? You got to go back. You got to know what is it there for? So the therefore is directing the reader back to those previous prior passages, to the righteousness of God, to the sins and rebellion of man, through the, the wrath that man deserved, but through the saving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that, that through his sacrifice, that there would be uh, justification and there would be redemption, that there would be sanctification. And through all of these things, it leads us right now into chapter 12, verse 1. So we see that as he details God's righteousness about the sinful nature of man, he also makes sure that, that, that the reader knows that it was only through Jesus Christ and Christ alone has the reader become, has the reader become uh, righteous and justified in the sight of God. So for that reason, Paul comes with a plea of urgency. He reminds them of their position as brothers, as fellow believers. And then he uses very specific language. He says, by the mercies of God. You see, he's pointing them back to God and to his care for humanity. It was mercy that we see in the prior chapters. It was mercy that saved us from wrath. It was mercy that saved us from the penalty of sin. It was mercy that gave way for us to be justified and sanctified in the sight of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Piper stated as simply as this, that mercy implies two things. One, compassion to the weak, and two, reprieve for the guilty. We as human beings need both grace and mercy. We are guilty and we need grace. We are miserable and we need mercy. So we see that as, as, as Paul is, he's, he's leading up to something here. And as we, it's important to know that as he's leading up to what the, the, uh, the response of man to be, that he also, in his writing, you could see how it has a distinct parallel to what Christ did. Because it was, uh, as he's leading up to man presenting themselves a living sacrifice, it's always key to, rem to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Hebrews 9:11 starts and it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sancti sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. So before we can even think about offering ourselves a sacrifice, we have to remember the one who sacrificed himself for us to get to that position. You see, he's not calling us to sacrifice in physical death because we see that by his sacrifice, that it was the perfect sacrifice, that there's no more need for the shedding of blood, shedding of goats and bulls, shedding or the sprinkling of ashes. No more of those sacrifices are needed. And he's not requiring us to lay down our life as a dead sacrifice, but rather he is calling the body of Christ to give ourselves willingly as a living sacrifice. So we see here, he says that we should present our bodies. Now, most of you may look at yourself and you look at your body and you say, does he really (laughs) want this? You know, I love my wife, God bless her. And she she always gives me so much uh, 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 compliments, amen. But when I'm going to, when I go to the doctor every year, he says, Mr. Rones, you need to lose about 12, 15 pounds. When I come home to my wife, she says, oh, baby, you look so good. You don't need to worry about what he says. What does he know? That's what he says. What does he know? So you may look at yourself and say, does he really want what I have? And the answer is, is that not only does he want your body, but he wants your total life. You see, when he's calling us to give our bodies a sacrifice, he's saying that he wants our total being. He wants our total lives as a living sacrifice. And when we think about that being a living sacrifice, once again, he's not calling us to lay our lives on the altar for us to be killed, but he wants us to be living so that he could use us for sacrificial service. When we look at giving ourselves as a sacrifice, we see that he is calling us to be a holy sacrifice. Holy not because of the works that we have done, but holy because he made us holy. Hebrews 10 and 19 says that we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, we are a holy sacrifice, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done on our behalf. His holiness, his sacrifice, and through that, that sacrifice has likewise made us holy. And so when he is calling us to be a living sacrifice, a holy and acceptable, he is just calling us back to himself so that he could use us for his glory. But one thing that we need to remember is that as he is calling us back to him as a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, that we need to make sure that we are totally surrendering and submitting ourselves over to him. You see, one of the things is that we see uh, or we hear that through salvation that, you know, now that I'm saved, or maybe I can do whatever it is I, I want to do. Maybe I can live how it is I want to live. But we see that it, now that salvation is just the beginning of our life. 
that now that we have been saved, now that we have been washed clean, now that we have been justified, now that we have been sanctified, now he is calling us to live a life of holiness so that he will be glorified. Romans 6.22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slave of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. First Peter 2 and 5 says that you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when you think about that, it's really so amazing that here he is. And he's given it once again, we, 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 we keep eyes on the sacrifice we give eyes on the we keep our eyes on the cross. We keep eyes on his death, his 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 burial and his resurrection. And through all of these things, and through uh, 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 and through repentance and through uh, saving faith, that we could have salvation. But then he doesn't stop there. But that what he needs from us, he also gives to us. He needs holiness from us, so he gives us the holiness that we need. He wants us, our life to be acceptable, so he makes provision by giving us such things as his word, as, as his Holy Spirit, and, and, and himself, so that our lives can be deemed acceptable in his sight. And so then we see that not only is he calling us to, not only is that sacrifice uh, through our bodies, but we see part of that sacrifice is also with our minds. Romans 12 and 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we look at being not being conformed to this world, the, the, the uh, statement that I, I think about oftentimes is just be different from the world. Just be different from the world. In other words, that our life should be countercultural. It's really interesting that when you look at uh, popularized Christianity, that you don't really see a lot of difference from the church and the world. What you'll see a lot of times is the church trying to emulate the world in order to be accepted by the world. But when we look at Jesus Christ, we see that his whole his whole life was countercultural. His whole life made the made the, uh, the 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 leaders of that time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it made them scratch their heads. Like, who is this that he would come and and, and sit and break bread with sinners? That whole thing right there just blew their minds. Who is this? This, this man that would come and, and perform miracles and healings on the Sabbath day. Who is, who is this man that is coming to, to break, our, to break our, our, our worldly system? Who is this man? Who he was was the Lord, and he was teaching us that it was not about conforming to the world, but it was about showing that what, what Christ and what God wants to do through Christ in the world is totally against worldly systems. So that means our politics. We shouldn't conform to a political system. That means that, that through the way we engage, the, the engage one another, that even with that, we shouldn't be uh, conformed to worldly systems. If anything, the ways of the world is against and a total direct opposite of the ways of the believer. 
First John 2 and 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we see we're presenting our bodies. We're presenting our total selves over to God saying, Lord, as, as the praise team sings so beautifully that we want to be used by you. Here he is calling us to change the way that we think. So we're not thinking like the world. We're not conforming to the ways of the world. And we're doing all of this so that we can prove the, the good and acceptable will of God. Now, when you talk about the will of God, that is one of the things that gets Christians so twisted. Because everyone wants to know, Lord, what is the will of God for my life? And many times when we think about the will of God for our life, we think of the terms of what it is we should be doing. You know, what office should I hold in the church, in other words, or uh, what work should I be doing in the church? But when you look at the passage of Scripture, he just makes it so plain that through our sacrifice, giving ourselves a living sacrifice, and through uh, the, the transformation of our minds, not being conformed to the world, being different, that it is showing the world what the will of God is. As we are transformed on the inside, you'll see evidence on the outside of the proof of what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So in other words, what, once again, going back to what God is doing, because this is something that we cannot do on our own. But it's once again through submission to him and allowing, allowing him to change us, to change the way we think, to change the way we operate, to change the way we live. And as, as those things are taking place on the inside, then the world should see something good on the outside. And once again, the way our actions won't be uh, running parallel to what the world will be doing. But once again, our actions will sometimes make the world scratch their head. How could you love someone like me? How could you encourage someone like me? How could you sacrifice and give of your time of attention? It's not because of, once again, because of who we are, but once again, it points right back to who he is. And so when we look at that, we see that that is the vertical service and it all comes through sacrifice and giving ourselves to Jesus Christ. But we see that, that that part of the service also should spread to one another. That as we look at, uh, as we look at Romans 12 and 3, we start to see that transition. But now it's not just from God to us, but now it's from us to one another. We see that Paul opens up and he says, for the grace or for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. 
And once again, it's real interesting that how Paul writes this, that the language that he used, once again, it, it, it takes you to Jesus Christ. And it causes you to look at a, how Jesus Christ lived on this earth. We see that through him, he walked a total life of humility. Philippians 2, 1 through 8 says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more importantly than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And here it is, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see Jesus Christ, who was, he was God. Here he is, God, the, the, the second person of the Trinity, humbling himself, taking on humanity. And if you want to just think of how, how humbling that is, just think about your life. Think about what you go through in the flesh. Think about what you see in the flesh. Think about all that you experience in this world. And here he is, God, humbling himself to wrap on flesh. And to, 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 to walk this earth and, and, and deal with uh, rejection and to, to deal with hate and to, to deal with being lied, at, lied upon and to, being de to deal with being battered and bruised and hurt and to deal with actual physical death. Think about all of these things that encompass being a human being. And here he is, God, because of his love and compassion towards us, chose to wrap himself in flesh and humble himself so that we can be reconciled back to him. So when you take that and you parallel that to what he is calling us to do, it's important that we once again look at that, that that right there is just so countercultural to how the world thinks. The world will say, uh, you don't belong with that person or this person because you're better than that. Uh, this person shouldn't be in your presence because of your title or your position, your economic status. They, they will, they will, the world will divide us based upon our economic status. They will divide us based upon our age. They'll divide us uh, based upon our ethnicity, upon our race. They'll, they'll look for different ways to divide us. But here we see uh, that, that, that Paul is encouraging the believer not to allow themselves to think highly of more highly of themselves as to the next person. And it's real key that the way he introduces it is for through the grace given to me. You see, he is saying that in his apostolic calling, but he ties it back to grace. What is grace? It was grace that we are saved. Grace that unmerited favor. He ties it back to, to, the, to, the, to the grace given to us by Jesus Christ. And then he sums it up through, the, through each man having a measure of faith. So when we look at that, 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 those words there, 
We are saved by grace through faith, right? So we should not think ourselves more highly than the next person because we all came through salvation the same way. I didn't have to do anything different than the next person, than you, than Nikki, than than Pastor Josh. We all had to come through salvation through Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're the pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a new convert. It doesn't matter if you've been in the faith for, for 20, 30 years. All of us had to come through the same way. And that was through the sacrifice, through the gospel, through the good news, through Jesus Christ. So how can we think ourselves more highly than the next person when we all are saved by that same grace, through that same faith that only God gave? So when we look at that, it's important for us to also realize that not only is he calling us not to think uh, higher than us, not to think ourselves higher than the next person, but then he says what? To think, to have sound judgment. So he's calling for us to have an examination of ourselves. And in that examination, it's also important for us to realize that we should not think ourselves less than the next person. See, many times we see Christians that allow themselves to get frozen in ministry because they think that they're not worth or what they have is not important or what or what they have. They don't have the worth to do certain things in ministry. But so it's important for us not just to recognize that we shouldn't think ourselves higher than the next person, but also we need to recognize that because we all come the same way, because we all came to the faith through Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter what you think you know or what you don't know, that all you should be able to, all you should be doing is trusting in the Lord, availing yourself to him, and then allowing him to bring the gifts out in you. So don't think yourselves too low, because when you do that, you diminish the work that Jesus Christ did in you. Because once again, this is not about yourself. It's not about, what's in, it's not about what you can do, but it's about what Christ Jesus can do through you. So when we see that he's calling, as he gives that shift or starts that shift to the horizontal, that he's calling for the, the, the church to do an examination, once again, humble yourself. Once again, take a look at, take an inventory and, and examine yourself and make sure that you're not thinking yourself too great because it's not about what you have done, but about what I have done. And now he's calling us, he's, he's, he's calling the members to unity. We see in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, that as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. We saw similar language uh, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, chapter 4, and, and Pastor Josh, once again, he, he teased out perfectly uh, when we look at how he has called us to be a unity, a unified body. He teased that in relation to the Godhead, how we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, how we see them three in one, but working together. That likewise, that he has called the church many members, but in one body. Just like our natural bodies, we have different members of our, in, in, our, in, our, in our body parts, but they have different functions. Our fingers and our hands, they have different functions than our toes and our feet. But when a hand or an organ or a member is missing, yes, you can still function, but 
the rest of the body will sometimes have to work harder to overcome that deficiency. So we see that likewise, he has called us many different members, many different people, many, many different backgrounds. And he has called us together. And even though we may come from different backgrounds, we have different stories, we have different histories, we have different functions, but it still works together for the glory of God. Ephesians 4.16, which we read last, from the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. And then we see that even though he is calling us together as one, that he also reminds us of our individuality. The next verse says, we who are many, one body in Christ, we are individual members of one another. So it's important for us to realize that even though, yes, we are connected as a body, we should still once again celebrate each other's differences. We should celebrate each other's individuality. We should celebrate each other's gifts. And then that brings us to Romans 12, chapter 6, verses, chap, chapter six, verses 6 to 8. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And we see that he, he names seven gifts there. But one thing that, that it's important for us to realize is that he has all given us gifts. It may not be one of these or maybe something different or maybe a combination, but he has all given us all gifts so that we could put them into operation and so that we could serve the body of Christ. One gift is not greater than the other, but they all have their place in the working together for the body. We see that spiritual gifts are given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12 and 11 says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distrib distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so many a times the, we wonder, well, what, it is, what is the gift uh, that I have? Is it as important as what uh, Pastor Josh does in the preaching? Is it as important as to what uh, Josh, Brother Josh does in playing the guitar? Is it as important as what uh, Nicole does in, 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 in uh, serving the hospitality? We see all of these things are used for the glory of God so that, that, that the love of Christ could be shared in, with one another. That through the sharing of these gifts, we see that we are once again uh, serving the body of Christ. And through that service, we are showing once again what it is, what that good and perfect will of Jesus Christ is. When he lists these seven gifts, it's important that we don't categorize them based upon what we perceive as importance. See, it's real easy to look at prophecy and say, okay, well, prophecy, that, that, that's the big gift, and 
teaching, that's a big gift. And leading, that's a big gift. All of these, they're, they're the teaching gifts. They're the pastoral gifts. Those, those are for the big dogs. And, and me, I'm, I'm just a, a little chihuahua over here. And I'll just serve and I'll just give and I'll just exhort and show mercy. But when we see that, when we look at these gifts, you can't, really can't have a, a successful church without there being one or the other because they all work together. Because even in what we call the teaching gifts, we see acts of service. And even when we see an acts of service, we see teaching. Because look at it like this, is that, that uh, if someone is teaching you the scriptures and teaching you the word of God, they're, giving, they're doing a service for you. But then likewise, if you're exhorting, if you're encouraging your neighbor, if you're giving to the body of Christ, if you're, if you're serving someone, if you're serving and tending to the needs of others, then you are also being a teacher because your life, your life is teaching someone how it is to act and to act and emulate and emulate, excuse me, the acts and service that Jesus Christ also did in his life and ministry. Pastor David Guzecki put it plainly like this, and I like how he says it. It says, those who are taught but not exhorted become fat sheep because they take in and never live the Christian life. Conversely, those who are exhorted and not taught become excited and active, but they have no depth or understanding to what they do and will burn out quickly or work in wrong ways. So we see that through these gifts, the body of Christ is edified, not just through one gift or through some gifts, but through all gifts working together for the glory of God. So we see that it is, it is the responsibility of the church to look to seek how we can serve one another. And so that leads me to three applications. First, in order to render service, whether it be vertically or horizontally, you must be saved. Vertical service calls for submission to the Lord. Horizontal service requires spiritual gifts given by the Lord. So whether you are serving vertically to, or whether you're serving one another, you can't serve properly without the Lord. And you can only do that through salvation. One of the most... Uh, Misquoted or take, scriptures taken out of context, we, we hear also comes from the book of Romans. It says the gifts and callings are without repentance. And so, so many times people think is that that, uh, that means that our gifts can come into operation, our spiritual gifts can come into, come into operation without our repentance. But when you look at that scripture in its entirety, when you look at it in its context, it's not our repentance. But the gifts and calling are given without, repent, without God's repentance. So he gives his gifts, he gives his callings in the way that he sees fit to the people that he sees fit to be used in a manner that pleases him. So all of these things require submission to the Lord. So, whether, uh, so the gifts that we need to get from God, the only way we can get them is from him. Through turning away from our sins. Through saving faith, having saving faith in Jesus Christ. The next is that in order for us to uh, fully serve one another, we need to know the areas where we have not fully submitted. Or rather, in order for us to serve the Lord properly, we need to know the areas where we have not fully submitted. So pray. Ask the Lord. 
Where am I lacking in my service to you? Today's Communion Sunday is in one of the, the uh, cl- closing passages that, that we often read coming from 1 Corinthians is let a man examine himself to see if he is worthy to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Likewise, let us examine ourselves and say, Lord, if I'm not meeting the standards that I should and fully submitting myself over to you, Lord, open up my eyes, show me. And then lastly, we should pray, we should ask the Lord in prayer, how can we be more effective in serving the body? One, in areas we may be lacking, and two, in areas that we're already serving. So no matter if we're, if, we're, uh, if we're already operating in some areas, pray about how we can do that more effectively. And if there are any areas that we're falling short with one another, once again, let's pray and see how we can do that more effectively. Because all of this, through all of this, these, uh, through all of this we see uh, how we should be emulating Jesus Christ. Once again, when we looked at all of these passages, starting with the first to the sacrifice to the end to the operation of the gifts, we see Jesus Christ. And in order for us to once again prove what is that good and acceptable holy will of God, we need to make sure that what we're doing, how we're doing it, that it's what God wants us to do. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to once again submit yourselves, to submit your bodies, to allow your minds to be transformed so that you can render that vertical worship unto God, that vertical service to the Lord. And then once again, allow your gifts to be used so that you can render service to one another. Let us pray. Precious and all wise God, we give your name all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. And we thank you once again for you and your word. We thank you, precious Lord, for your sacrifice. For without your sacrifice, all that we do, all that we have done, it would be in vain. But Lord, because of you, your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection, we are so grateful, precious Lord, that we have you in our lives and that we have you directing us and leading us and guiding us to truth. We pray, precious Lord, that you will once again move on our hearts. Lord, show us the areas that we're lacking, whether it be in serving you or whether it be in serving one another. Show us, Lord, where we're falling short. And then, Lord, let us, as you reveal these things to us, let us not be complacent, but let us look to move to change so that you will be glorified in our lives. And then, Lord, if there are any that do not know you as Lord, do not know you as Savior, we're thankful, precious Lord, that once again you, through your sacrifice, that you have given opportunity for someone to know you as Lord, as Savior, to be saved from their sins. Lord, as someone say, Lord, what must I do to be saved? We are thankful, precious Lord, for you tell us that in in Romans uh, 10 and 9, Lord, to confess with our mouth that 
Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that, that you will be saved. So we pray, precious Lord, that someone will repent of their sins and then with saving faith believe that not only did you die on the cross for our sins, but also believe that God raised you from the dead and that you are now seated at the right hand of the Father. We give your name all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen.